you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going to be looking at the story of Paul this morning. And just as you do that, uh, can I mention a couple of things? Uh, where this is our final week uh, in the series, New Beginnings. Uh, and next week, we're going to start a brand new series. We're uh, looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, really, because life is full of ups and downs. And uh, the letter to the Philippians is all about the ups and downs of life and how as Christians, we should manage the realities of those things. And uh, so we're going to be doing that for a few weeks. Uh, uh, but after that, we're, we're then moving into our, our time of vision, our church anniversary, and the gathering in June. So uh, looking forward to all these various things. We also have a couple of really significant speakers coming in the next couple of weeks. And uh, first one is a name that, if you're slightly older, you might know, is a man called Oz Guinness. And uh, I don't know if you remember Oz Guinness, but Oz Guinness was Francis Schaeffer's, another name that some of you'll know, uh, right-hand man. And uh, they, they had a massive impact in the 1980s uh, in terms of shaping evangelical Christianity and really in terms of Christian apologetics. Anyway, Oz Guinness's church, apparently the first church he ever preached in was Stirling Baptist Church. And, uh, and so when he was coming back to Scotland, he made a special request, kind of a nostalgic thing, can I come and preach at Stirling Baptist Church? And so we've got Oz Guinness coming, he's going to preach at the, one of the evening services. And uh, so I do ask you to come along to that. And then the other one we've got is Eddie Lyle, who is the director of uh, Open Doors, uh, which heads up the work with the persecuted church. And it's something that's very much on my heart ever since I traveled to Iraq with them. And it's hopefully something as we move into the next few months as a church we'll grapple more with about how we can develop relationship and support those who are persecuted. Uh, although we may feel it's been a tough few years for us um, as Christians in Britain, the reality is it's not been half as tough as it has been for the global church. And COVID has been used globally to persecute Christians in, in new and distinctive ways. And, and it'll be important when Eddie comes to hear the stories and also what God continues to do despite the persecution. So that's another thing to put in your diary and look forward to. Anyway, let's turn this morning to our last in the series, New Beginnings, and look at the story of Paul. Uh, as was pointed out, this is an unusual choice for post-resurrection, but it's actually one of the, maybe the most important story post-resurrection, because debatably, probably the most important resurrection appearance of Jesus was to Paul, because it's after Paul encountered Christ, the direction of Christianity just changed in so many ways. More than half of your New Testament consists of things written by Paul. And, and, and so this moment was a defining moment. And, and it's also more remarkable because Paul was entirely hostile to the church. And in 1 Corinthians 15, as, as a historian... I kind of love this because you, you have the account in Acts 9 of how Paul becomes a Christian. But then in 1 Corinthians 15, we have first-hand testimony. Historians love diaries and things when people actually write it up for themselves. So we know it's not just a story. The person themselves actually said, where Paul explains 
what happened to him. And he, he says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, he appeared to Caiaphas, that's Peter, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as though to one born at the wrong time, he appeared to me. And then he goes on to say, Jesus accepted me just as I was, although I was a persecutor of the church. And so I experienced a new God's grace. And, and right at the start, he says, this is the gospel. The gospel is, I had an encounter with this Jesus. And although I was a sinner, although I had a lot of stuff wrong in my life, I knew God's grace. We had a communion service uh, just before this in, in the prayer meeting this morning, and as we were sharing communion as our habit is, we, we greeted one another with the peace of God at the end of it, and I almost wished that rather than just greeting one another with the peace, we greeted one another with the peace and grace of God. You know, because the message of the resurrection is about the grace of God. It is about receiving forgiveness for our sins, which is an act of grace, something that we do not deserve. And this is what the resurrection was about, the reception of this grace. And so Paul, when he encounters Jesus, he understood this. And this encounter was so significant, Paul went on to be the, the greatest evangelist maybe that's ever lived. He laid the foundation for the church in so many nations and so many cities. He provided the foundation for what Christians believe in the letters that he wrote and in the relationships that he developed. And, and it wasn't necessarily really easy for Paul. Interestingly enough as well, Paul was one of the older statesmen of the Jesus movement. Most of the other apostles were young, maybe even teenagers or certainly in their early 20s. But Paul was pushing 40, maybe even 50 when this happened, which in the ancient world was fairly old. There's a brilliant description of him uh, in, in an apocryphal gospel, which talks of him as bald and with knobbly knees. The image has always stayed and yet God took this man and he used him in such a significant way. And it began with this conversion experience. One of the things I, I, I love doing when I get the opportunity is to take groups to Israel and, and to travel around. And um, we go up onto the Golan Heights, which is just adjacent to, uh, it's part of northern Israel now, uh, just adjacent to Syria. I actually once had a guide who took me up there, and uh, he said, you know, don't let it be said Israel's not interested in peace. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, we have a piece of Egypt and a piece of Lebanon and a piece of Syria and a piece of Jordan. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> some would say it's a piece of Syria, but anyway, let's not go there. <laughs> so up onto the Golan Heights, and, and on the Golan Heights, uh, you can actually see, you can stand on the Golan and see Damascus. And, uh, and, and on that road, on that route to Damascus, Paul has an encounter. And, and I always ask people when I go up there, especially if they're not Christians, I always ask them the question, 
What happened to Paul on this road? What happened? Because something happened. You know, what happened? You know, if the resurrection had not happened, we have to explain that somehow. We have to account for what took place with this man because this man was transformed and everybody knew it. This man hated Christians with a vengeance. We're told that he was the principal persecutor of Christianity at this time. In fact, we learn in Acts 9 that Christians weren't called Christians at this point. They were called followers of the way. And he hated the followers of the way. And you always wonder, why was he so mad? What got him so angry? Have you ever met people like that? Where you kind of wonder, why are they so angry? What's so upsetting them? Well, Paul maybe had a basis for his anger. You see, Jesus' message was a radical threat to everything that he had built his religious life on to that point. Jesus challenged the notion of the temple. You see, as a, as a, a second temple Jew, Paul believed that the temple was the center of Judaism and that the worship three times a year in Jerusalem in the temple physically there was the heart of what being a Jew was about. And Jesus had come along and he had said, you know, in three days I will rebuild this temple. And everybody got upset and they wondered, what did he mean? What Jesus meant was this temple is not going to be the center of religion very quickly. Jesus had taught that what happens in your heart is what counts. That there was a movement in Judaism at the time that was saying, if you didn't manage to make it to Jerusalem, because three times a year was quite a lot, especially if you lived in Africa or, or in Gaul or somewhere else, that even if you just went in your heart by reading about the pilgrimage, it was the same as doing the pilgrimage. And, and so suddenly, you didn't have to do things externally or materially. You could actually do it in your heart. And, and Jesus was part of this movement. Remember the story we were looking at with Jesus meeting the woman at the well? And, and, and she asked him about two temples, the temple on Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans worshipped, and the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, temples, that's old school. <laughs> he says, the new thing is spirit and truth. And what he was saying was the reality is that the Spirit of God is not going to inhabit a physical building. He's going to inhabit people. And when the people come together, their God's presence will be found. And, and so the temple, the physical temple is no longer needed because the temple is the gathering of the people of God where the Spirit of God is present. You see, this morning as we meet together, the Spirit of God is here and the resurrected Christ is present because we become a living temple. And Jesus taught about this and thought about it. In fact, you know, one of the things as I've been kind of reflecting post-COVID is I 100% now believe that watching virtually online is not the same as coming together and being part of the community of God's people. It's just not good, it's okay, it's a tool. But it's not the same as being part of a living community, worshiping together in a physical space and presence. Because I believe the Spirit of God, in some mysterious way, is present in a distinct way. And Jesus taught this. And so we don't need a temple. 
You know, there's been some riots actually in Jerusalem just over the last couple of weeks, and they're fighting over this bit of real estate, a few hundred square meters in the center of Jerusalem. And Jesus said, it's not about real estate anymore. It's about the community of God's people. And for Paul, that was a problem. In a way, I'm into the temple. You're attacking the heart of my church. <laughs> and, and then the thing was, and this is the second thing that Jesus did, is that because Jesus said it's about what's inside and not what's outside, he not only rejected all the purity laws of Judaism, but he also said that there isn't male or female. You see, because if it's about the spirit, it's not about how you are defined as a man or a woman. Both a man and a woman are equal before God because the Spirit of God dwells equally in both. And that's why I believe in women ministers. Because it's the Spirit that ministers through you. And the Spirit is the same Spirit in Rosie as it is in me. And when the Spirit inhabits us, he doesn't go, oh no, it's a woman. <laughs> I can't minister through this person anymore. <laughs> no, the Spirit ministers through women in the same way as he ministers through men. And that's why Jesus had women at the heart of his community. That's why women were at the heart of the Jesus movement. That's why Mary Magdalene is the first to witness because Jesus rejected the, the, the first century sexism that characterized Judaism in a radical way. And again, that upset people. Women need to know their place. And actually, you, you'll see that Paul in his letters tackles this. Anyway, well, that's another sermon. <laughs> but the third thing, and the thing that really got him mad, was that Jesus taught that there is no more exclusion. There is no more this kind of racist boundaries that says we are the people and you are not the people. That God is for us and he is against you just because of your ethnic origins. Jesus said that the spirit of God is poured out on all flesh, on everyone. And so this community of God's people, the new living temple of God's community created around the resurrected Christ is based around not one particular people group, but on all flesh. And so the Spirit of God is poured out. And you know, that made people really, really angry. Because are you saying we're not important? Are you saying we're not the chosen ones or the only chosen ones? Are you saying that we have to let those people into our churches? Are you really saying that? And Jesus said, yes. It's the reason the Jews ultimately crucified him. It's the reason that we see the, 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 the rejection of Christ by the sociopolitical authorities in Palestine at the time. It's the reason that we see this expression and hatred filling the apostle Paul because he hated him. You know, when we... Look at this. And then we read Paul's letters and we see he's a man who says there is neither male nor female. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Something happened. 
Something dramatic happened. He got it. He got what Jesus Christ was about and the gospel of Jesus Christ was about. He suddenly adopted and he became the greatest ambassador for these values. How did that happen? How did this happen? Well, part of the story must be Paul's journey. Again, if you go to Israel and, and you journey through, uh, although it's through quite tense areas, but if you journey the road that Paul would have journeyed, you would have seen that Paul took a road called the Way of the Patriarchs, and he would have visited all the places that were associated with people like Jacob and Abraham and Isaac. He would have walked past the well of Jacob, and, and he would have journeyed. But as he journeyed, this was the same journey that Jesus had done that Jesus had done maybe three times every year. And, and they were marked, and there were people everywhere who Jesus had impacted on that road. And as he journeyed, maybe he met the woman at the well. We're told she was an evangelist. Maybe he had heard of this woman, this highly immoral woman that he probably disapproved of, and yet somehow Jesus had accepted her. Must have been something, Paul, that said, what's going on here? Maybe he disapproved. Then he gets up into the Jezreel Valley as he travels this road, and he passes a town called Nain, and he hears of a, a, a widow who had a son, her only son, and he had died. And Jesus had walked in and resurrected this child. And again, made such a difference. Maybe he talked to the widow. A story of resurrection. As he traveled up, he would have gone on to the Sea of Galilee, the northern shore. He maybe heard stories of the paralytic. You know, the guys that dug through somebody's roof to drop them into the middle of their living room. You know, I'd be fairly traumatized if that was my house, and I'd probably still be talking it a couple of years later. Maybe he talked to them. Maybe he talked to the woman with the issue of blood. You know, who, as Jesus was walking to do another miracle, touched the hem of his garment. And was healed. Maybe he talked to her. Maybe he talked to the two blind men that had got their sight and said, we were blind and now we see. Or maybe he talked to this guy called Jairus. It's interesting. One of the few people who we know the name of the individual that Jesus did the miracle for. Jairus. And we're told he was a ruler of the synagogue. One of the establishment figures. Maybe Paul was staying with Jairus and having a chat. And then as he traveled on through Bethesda, maybe he heard of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, some of the other miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, amazing stuff that had gone on. You see, Paul was being exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ as he made that journey. All the way up onto the Golan Heights as he journeyed along, hearing the stories and the miracles of Jesus and these stories of resurrection. You know, that widow's son. Jairus' daughter, people that were dead and had been brought back to life. And suddenly he has this encounter with the living Christ. Suddenly, uh, some commentators say, you know what we read in, uh, in terms of what happens on the Golan Heights is it's not a conversion, it's a surrender. It's just saying, Lord, I just accept what you are doing in my life. I just accept that you are calling me to be part of your community. I love the way this encounter starts. It starts with the declaration of Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, twice. 
Uh, we, we talked last week about the importance of calling a person's name. Remember Jesus to Mary Magdalene. He says, Mary. To Paul, he says, Saul, Saul. Maybe Paul didn't get it the first time. A little bit like Samuel in the Old Testament. <laughs> Had to be called several times. But he speaks twice. And, and, and then I love this bit. Uh, because uh, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And, and he says, who are you, Lord? Okay. Now, now, here's the clue, Lord. He knows who he is. <laughs> so what's he saying? What's going on in this interaction? Who are you, Lord? He knows this is Jesus, but he's considering who is he? It's interesting, just before this, he would have passed through a place called Caesarea Philippi, uh, where Jesus had asked the question, who do men say that I am? And there he is asking the question, who are you, Lord? But he knows who he is. You know, have you, you ever met people who actually know the truth of the gospel, who know the reality of God at work in their lives, and they're just fighting against it and fighting against it and fighting against it. It's sometimes exhausting to watch. And it's like, why won't you just decide? But if they're honest with themselves, they know Christ and his lordship. Paul knew it. I remember um, when I was uh, 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 working as an evangelist in Edinburgh, I'd read all these books by guys like Oz Guinness and Francis Schaeffers and things, and I had all these brilliant arguments for the existence of God. And uh, so we would be going into bars and things and sitting down and talking with people and, and sharing the gospel and I had all these great arguments and sometimes we'd spend hours in debates about the existence of God. And then I read Romans, which says basically people know the truth about God, but they just choose not to believe it and they suppress it. Oh, oh, that's an interesting concept. Maybe I'll try a different evangelistic tact. Don't tell Oz Guinness this, by the way. And, uh, and uh, I just went in and I would sit down and there we go, oh God and all that. And I would just say, you know God exists, don't you? Just fess up and admit it. And you know what happened? People went, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it wasn't God usually. There was the second bit, you know you're a sinner as well. Mm, they weren't so happy with that one. Who are you, Lord? He recognized and he knew. And then Jesus explains to him, and, and, and I think this is the simplest explanation of conversion that I know. He says, stand up. I love that. Just stand up. You know, sometimes in our lives we feel so broken. We feel everything is against us. We feel that stuff is tough. And you're like, I just want to lie down, pull the sheet over my head, and forget about the world. You ever been there? Come and listen to the Philippine series next week, <laughs> if you have. But Jesus says to him, Paul, don't stay there. Stand up. And you will be told what you must do. You see, to that point, Paul ran his own life. Yeah, religious Jew. Yeah, devoted to the Old Testament. Yeah, very, very detailed in his worship and his adherence to all the regulations. But he was running his own life. And Jesus said, now you will be told what to do. When you call me Lord, I will be your Lord and follow what I tell you to do. Stand up, start walking, and listen to how, 
how I direct you. We're told that Paul makes his way into Damascus. And uh, as he made this journey, we're told that although his eyes were open, he couldn't see. I find this an intriguing phrase and an intriguing thing. Paul is in this state for three days, and there's definitely a notion going on here of Paul's own resurrection, that just as we baptize people and we say you're dying like Jesus and being born again into a new life like Jesus. So Paul was going through his own death and resurrection for those three days. He was dying to himself and he was being resurrected to a new life. But you see, in order to die to self, you know, if he didn't die to self, he would not see, even though his eyes were open. He wouldn't see what God was doing. He wouldn't see what God wanted him to be engaged in. He wouldn't see the vision of that amazing message that Jesus had brought. He wouldn't see any of it because he would be so preoccupied with his own life and what he thought should be the agenda for that life. But in those three days, as he underwent his own dying to self and his resurrection to a new life, he came to the point where he could see what God was doing. And maybe more than any man in history, he understood what God was doing. He went out and he preached about a new temple, a new temple that wasn't in Jerusalem, but was found amongst the community of God's people where the Spirit now dwelt. He went and talked, and despite what the critics say, he talked about men and women as equals. He talked about the interaction that this would express and reflect in the life of the church. And he went out to be the man who is most renowned for saying, there is neither male nor female. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither Jew nor Greek, but just Christ. Receive grace. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for all of us this morning and for those of us who need to surrender, who maybe need to go through our own conversion experience this morning, for those of us who have to rediscover the wonder of the gospel in the light of the resurrection. Lord, I pray for us that we would recognize you again as Lord and Savior. Lord, that we would find ourselves being lifted up and standing up and beginning to walk in the way that you instruct us to do. Lord, I pray for any area of our life where we're not obeying your explicit direction, Lord. I, I pray that you would just challenge us about that and help us to be directed wholly by you and your agenda. Lord, help us to be filled with your spirit so that we don't live for ourselves, but that we live for you so that we can see your purpose and your work in our life, in our church, and in our community, that we could share that amazing vision that Paul so grasped of the good news for all people, for all time. We ask this in your name. Amen.